part of a nine-module series on trauma-informed care. And I was literally mowing the lawn, and I heard the Lord say, contact Terry Musen at Orphan's Promise Christian Broadcasting Network. She was a friend of mine, so I wrote her. The rest has become history. We joined the staff of Back-to-Back -back Ministries. I thought we were just going to be training our staff. I had no idea the curriculum that we wrote, um, obviously with God's guidance. It's about him. It's not about us. Um, has touched over 68 countries and translated into eight languages. Wow. One of those is Russian for Ukraine. And our hearts are broken. Some of you have connections in Ukraine, your hearts are broken. So that's where we're doing now. And at the very end, I'll share just a little bit more. We left back to back. We felt that we had finished the assignment there. And we felt called by our, actually we were called by our pastor. He called us and he said, <laughs> um, would you consider creating a trauma-informed training center out of our local church. Uh, oh, yes, we live in Dayton, Ohio, and we're in the, we are in process with that. Our next workshop is April 13th on suicide awareness. I think every pastor should be there, every youth pastor, children's pastor. And so we're on that journey, and we're uh, super excited about that. We'll share at the very end about a community impact center. Uh, we are also working on a book, finishing up for Focus on the Family, on how to, this whole stuff, bringing this in the church. That's our vision that we equip church ministries to understand. Every single person in their life might have, in the church life, may have a history of trauma. As adults, a child, if we interview, intervene early with our kids, it changes the trajectory. So, I would change that just a little bit. Every person who comes into our church has a trauma history. Something has happened to each of them. I, have, I teach a course called the soul takes a hit and each of us have taken some kind of a hit and or hits that either have been healed or they sit over here and they're festering and they're sore and causing all kinds of problems in our life in our in our life uh, so um, I like to take concepts and draw them illustrate them using circles lines and arrows and one of the things that I've done is, uh, by the way, trauma history is experienced in the context of relationship. And trauma healing will be done in the context of a healing safe relationship with a safe person. So there's no way in the world to overemphasize the importance of a connection. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. So here's a child. And uh, he scrambled his brain, his belief system, his behavior. Everything is scrambled because of what he's been through. And uh, there's two kinds of wounds. One, bad things happen to us. And good things that should have happened don't. Abuse and neglect. And it's showing up in all kinds of aberrant uh, behaviors, anger, frustration, that sort of thing. And we wonder, what in the world is wrong with that kid? The better question is, we'll get to it later, a better question would be, what has happened to that child? Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I got into this, not so much working with children, but I got into this as a pastor. I had adults come to me, speak to me privately. And they had all kinds of behaviors and anger and frustration and failures, all kinds of things going on. And when I sat down with them, I found they had all kinds of wounds. They never heal. And here they go through life. Now they're an adult, and that stuff is showing up now 
and, and is interrupting and interfering with their life. And Jesus these were born-again believers. Well, yeah, they're born-again believers. So mm -hmm. there's something more, forgive me if this does not sound right, we need to be saved, of course. We also need to be healed. And transformed in our thinking. Yeah. And salvation happens in a moment of time. Healing happens over time. How much time? As long as it takes. It's a process, it's a journey. So here's a person who's gone through trauma and he needs something to heal. So we have come to realize, and I'm sure you heard a lot today about the resources that are available to help these kids heal, or adults. The problem is the resources oftentimes are separate from the child or the person. So there has to be a connecting circle, and we call this middle circle. It could be a parent, a teacher, a coach, coach, a pastor, any safe adult can do this work. Any safe adult. And many times our kids do not have never had a safe adult in their life, but a pastor, a teacher, anybody. So someone who is aware of the resources and can make a connection with the child or the adult and they are confident in that what that child needs to heal in that relationship. Without the middle circle, nothing good happens. Nothing good happens. And that just, that's a great biblical principle, by the way. God was in Christ. Christ is our middle circle. Reconciling the world unto himself. Same principle. So Jesus Christ is our middle circle. To tap us into the resources that God provides for us. It's incredible. It's a great teaching principle, by the way. Okay? By the way, if you have any questions or comments or mm. anything, we'd love to hear them. Okay? Yeah, feel free to interrupt. Yes. And so the principle is God is a God of connection. Our church has a motto, a phrase, whatever. I'm sure you've heard it. We are a, we are part of a, we're not part of a religion. We're into a relationship. Yes. Mm -hmm. Without relationship, nothing good ever happens on any level. So God is the God of connection. John 1, 17 says, uh, Jesus came in grace, relationship, and true healing. Before he can do the healing, he has to connect in relationship. Mm -hmm. Very basic principle. Okay? Um, in the process of doing our book, I w I've been interviewing youth pastors um, literally all across the country, and I recently interviewed a youth pastor that was down in Cincinnati in a very large church in Cincinnati. And I asked him a question, and I said, um, Josh, how many kids do you think do not have healthy connections in your teen group with their parents? The number shocked me. He said over 40%. And that is in a suburb of Cincinnati in kind of a wealthy area. you think there'd be healthy families. 40%. There's a phenomenon that I also discovered in the research, and I'm sure I know you can relate, relate, it, relate to it. Just Google it. Distracted parenting. It is a phenomenon that has happened in our culture that our parents are distracted. The kids are not connecting with their parents because of why? Why are they distracted? Social media and the, and the phone. How many of you have been to a restaurant and see everybody in the family on their phone? 
my husband, David, had to say, no, it's not your business at Chick-fil-A when the entire family spent the whole hour on their phone. I wanted to go, he said, no, 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 it's not your business. Um, but anyway, so Dr. Dr. Daniel Siegel says, we are raising a generation of kids with relational poverty. So if our, your kids in your ministries and teens in your ministries are not connected, you may be that one middle circle. So I would like you to think, and just write on your piece of paper, and then I'm gonna have a couple of you just shout out. Who was the middle circle in your life that set you or helped you on the trajectory that you're on? You may say my parents were my middle circle. Many of you will say your mom, your dad. Was there someone else? Anybody want to shout out about someone else? Uh, Jack, Zach? My grandfather. Your grandfather. Grandfathers are so, and grandmothers are so important. Anybody else? Coach. Coach. Who said coach? What sport? Football. Football. You look like a football player. <laughs> yes. Someone else. Yes. Back there. Yes. Uh huh. Uh, Your pastor. Young lady. Yeah. Can make a difference. My high school journalism teacher. I had great family, great parents, but it was my high school journalism teacher that introduced me to Christ and set me on the trajectory. She was that middle circle in my life. And David has already mentioned this, that we have, I'm sorry the projector is not exactly, yeah, but you've got the PowerPoint there, so sorry about that. I hope it's, if someone's obsessive compulsive, that may be a problem. Um, <laughs> but, um, we need to change the, the thing. I used to think, what's wrong with you? Straighten up. Until we discovered the world of trauma, trauma, basically. And we've changed the question to what's happened to you. There are several amazing books that I'm going to probably mention as we go along. But one of them is by Dr. Bruce Perry. It's called What Happened to You. And um, it's not a Christian book. But, and it's with Oprah, but it gives insight into this whole question, what happened to you? I was, um, one of the things when I worked with foster and adoptive parents, and Susie can allude to that, I know Susie from, for years, I didn't know you were gonna be here. Um, what do foster parents believe is enough, Susie, when they are fostering? What do they believe is enough? Uh-huh. But what do you think they have to give that's enough? I didn't ask a good question. Oh, I'm sorry, love. Love. I said, well, is love enough? Well, I began looking at perfect love casts out fear. And so then I looked at another version, and it, said, uh, it was the message, I think, and it said, informed love casts out fear. And so I added one more word, well-informed love. And that's what we are here about. We're becoming competently compassionate with our kids, well-informed love. Do you have a question, Zach? Uh, well, Use your outside voice. Yeah, I guess, uh, well, guess well-informed love and going back to the circle uh, brings up a good example, somebody that may not even be informally in your life. There was a guy named, he's retired now, Andrew Whitworth, who played for the Cincinnati Bengals, mm -hmm. who did a lot of community in Southwest Ohio where you guys are from Dayton. Mm -hmm. But a young man, he won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award here just a month ago, Andrew Whitworth did, and talking a lot of homes with you know, single parent homes or no parent, 
Uh, this young man went to a lot of these things that was in Cincinnati that Andrew gave a lot of his time, mm. warm love and time to him. And this young man is now on the <coughs> Detroit Lions that grew up from that positive influence. Warm love and influence from not a coach, not a pastor, not a parent, and really invested time and love. Yeah, to, and I love that. that. Um, I looked at my watch only say, could I have time to say this? And you may have to help me. One of the things when you are in the trenches with these kids, there are actually four things that I don't know if I can remember all of them, but you are carrying a burden. There's a question about that. There has to be um, commitment, um, boundaries, and what was the fourth one? I didn't plan to say this. Yeah, but when you are in the trenches, this is hard work with these kids. And um, there is, um, there's so much we could share in this hour, um, and we'll, we'll do our very best. So it's very hard to see that little brain there, but um, if, David, you wanna go ahead and talk about this? When kids experience trauma, there are three types of trauma that can happen to a child, one, or anybody actually, acute trauma, which is one kind of thing. It might be a car accident or a fire. We need to process any kind of acute trauma within 24 to 48 hours, according to research, or it becomes part of your um, circuitry. So there's acute trauma. The second one is chronic trauma, and basically means that trauma that's, that's been ongoing all during a child's life. And I think all during a child's life. And it may be sexual abuse. We've got kids in the ministry that you don't know have been sexually abused. And that's a tragedy, boys and girls. And the third type of trauma that is most significant for our kids and really impacts their body, their brain, their behavior, their biology, and their belief system um, is called complex developmental trauma. That happens within the first five years. Most often, those kids have no intervention. That's why preschool people that can know this, it's so critical that it's, it's um, trauma and neglect or abuse that has happened, um, could even in utero, we know that. It happens early, it's chronic, means it's all going, a child never knows if dad's gonna come home drunk and hit them or come home and nothing, or mom's gonna take care of the needs or slap the daylights out, and they never know. So it's early, uh, chronic, always a form of maltreatment, and the worst is the sad part, and David alluded to this. Children are wounded in interpersonal relationships. So a child may have a, a mom that's supposed to be nurturing, or a dad, supposed to be nurturing, but at the same time, it's the same person that is wounding them. They don't know how to attach to that person. They don't have to have a relationship with that person. So as a result of this, this is what it looks like. Fear is... Uh is the way that God has designed the brain to protect us from harm. But the problem is, if a child lives in a chronic, constant, uh, in, uh, uh, unsafe environment, many times the, uh, the brain is stuck in fear. And life becomes about survival now. And uh, many times in that survival, there's all kinds of aberrant behavior, behaviors. And these kids they come into our into our classes, into our homes, and the brain is, is designed in fear. How much do you think a brain that's stuck in fear can learn from your sermons 
and your good lessons. How much can the brain comprehend? Eric, you're shaking your Not head. Not much. Not, Not much, much, if any. If any. <laughs> and so many times we just hammer these kids, and don't you know this, and don't you know that, and, the, and on and on, and you can just see them shut down. And there's a proverb, I think it's in Proverbs 17, it's a great, great proverb, it says, few words are better than many words. Mm-hmm. Think about that. And people who've been through trauma don't respond well to um, lectures and sermons and things. What they need to do, and what we need to do is bring them out of the fear part of their brain, which is back here in the brainstem area, mm-hmm. and uh, get them into where the whole brain is functioning. It is then and there that they can learn and relate and connect. Until that time, I was uh, talking to a very professional person not too long ago, and the mother is very professional, very wealthy, very competent, but her brain is stuck in fear right now for some reason. And people are trying to tell her, don't you know this and don't you know that? I tell those who are around her, help her get out of fear. The whole brain is functioning then you can deal with the problem. And so many of us, and perhaps in this room even, you, you live in fear. And uh, it's just not a good place to, to live and to be. We can go from, from, uh, from fear to, to calm. I was in Kyrgyzstan talking to somebody, full brain, and uh, we were talking about something. Out of the dark, it was dark, and out of the sudden, all of a sudden, out of the dark shadows of the night, Two young men just came running just as fast as they could right at me. My fear went from calm to where? Fear. Your calm went to calm, yeah. My, fear, my brain went from <laughs> calm to fear. And I was ready to either fight, flight, or probably flee. <laughs> but as a result, they went on by me. My brain went back to calm over time. It took a while. If we understand and ascertain and discern what the brain is, we can help them more. And kids who live in constant chronic fear um, just need a safe adult and a safe place to heal. Bottom line. Uh, can you think of a time when you were in your fear brain? What were you able to do or what did you do? We've all heard the three fight, flight, or freeze. If you can't fight what's coming at you, if you can't run away from it, you freeze, associate. Some part of your brain just goes, okay, it's gonna happen no matter what. And we just wait for that to happen. So the brain is designed to respond to what's happening around us. And if there's no safe adult for a child who is being abused to go to and process it, he learns how to dissociate or freeze it. See it all the time. So I wanna talk to you about can I say one something just real quickly sure. that kind of really led us into this? Uh, I was substituting, oh gosh, this is probably nine years ago. Um, I was substituting in our children's ministry, and we were just learning this stuff, so it was probably longer than that. But anyway, these two little boys came into the children's ministry. They were like on steroids with behavior. And I could see the Sunday school teacher getting more agitated and agitated and agitated. And he finally kicked them out. They were seven, eight. Go, go up to your parents, whoever brought you. That was how it happened. And I later learned that there had been police at their house at 2 o'clock in the morning with domestic violence. Those kids arrived in church, Sunday school, in their fear brain. And if we learn to recognize some of that stuff, 
There are two statements that are so critical for me that has changed the trajectory with literally all of my relationships. The first one is there's always meaning behind behavior, always. You've got kids acting out, you've got teens acting out, you may be working with adults that are acting out, there's always meaning behind behavior. And the other statement is behavior is their vocabulary. If they can't use their words, they're gonna use their behavior. So instead of looking at a kid with bad behavior, I recognize he's telling me something, but he doesn't have words for it, he's using his behavior. We see this a lot in uh, adults as well. They never learned how to speak what their needs were and what their thoughts are and what their feelings are, and so they just use their, their vocabulary. And sometimes it's very, very disruptive and we need to recognize that. I kind of went through this a little, I went did this one day just quickly. Uh, fear, out of which fear comes, it shuts off the cortex, the thinking. It, uh, I can't read that. Oh, oh, okay. All the brain chemistry. Yeah. It, uh, fight, uh, fight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. We talked about that. I can't ask you. Suppresses the child's voice. We yeah, we've been talking about that. Suppresses the child's voice. They just can't seem to get it out, especially if when they express their need or whatever, it won't be safe, they won't speak at all. Protective no. strategies? When we are in fear, the main thing the brain is designed to do is to protect us. And by the way, that system is, is formed in fashion six months in, the uter in utero. The brain is designed to protect us, okay? Um, I'm just going to mention a couple things about protective strategies. And when we're talking about protective strategies, um, you could put um, these titles and on flip charts and come up with all sorts of behaviors under it. But the, one of the first protective strategies our kids have learned to survive is manipulation. No question about that. They, ha they can manipulate. One of the ways is lying. I believe lying is a fear-based behavior. We go at it at a moral perspective. When the kid is in a fear brain, and does that do any good? No. Uh, the second one is triangulation. They might triangulate you with their parent after children's ministry or whatever. Control is huge. These kids have had no control in their lives, so they're gonna control everything down to the color of the socks they're gonna put on that morning. Or the kind of treats you have in children's ministry. The uh, fourth one is aggression, could be towards themselves or others, or violence. Manipulation, triangulation, control, uh, aggression, and violence. We're going through these quickly. Um, when we live in fear, we're unable to discern the needs of others. It looks like so, uh, psychopathic behavior, or psychopathic soul or spirit, uh, because they're so overwhelmed in their own need they can't discern the needs of others. Uh, so it suppresses the conscience and uh, shows up as bad behavior. Just some things out of which fear, out, out, that will come out of fear, they will manifest in very unhealthy ways many times. We need to recognize fear and know that we can, we can bring the fear quotient down and uh, the brain can heal and relationships can happen. Okay. And um, many of you, some of you, I'm not sure, um, have heard of Dr. Karen Purvis, who is trust-based relational intervention. Has, who has, was I'm a, sorry, I have a sore ankle, and it's a little clumsy. Yeah, sorry about that. 
Um, she, I, we are quoting her, she's been a mentor, she passed away in 2016, but incredible mentor to us. Chronic fear is like a schoolyard bully that scares a child into behaving poorly. And one of the things that you can do, and I do when I have children's church, um, is that I really work with connecting the kids and say, tell me what your day was like yesterday, or tell me what this morning was like when you, uh, you you don't want them telling parents, but say, I had a fight with my brother. He might be in his fear brain. So checking with them on those things. So fear bullies our kids into bad behavior. Now, I was, we were in um, North Carolina at a large church. We had asked to come down and train their Sunday school staff. And we only had one hour, what we have with you today. We only had one hour for two sessions. And there was a gentleman in the back of the room the first hour that was on his phone. And I thought, hmm, he doesn't want to be here, but I want you to hear his story. strategies of connection and please raise your hand we've got time to answer some questions here but there are three strategies that we want to look at and the first one is looking oh you can't see it on there very well uh, connecting not disconnecting are our responses to our kids um, disconnecting in ways that uh, removing them from the room or having them go sit in a time out spot. 
we, I would prefer to use the time in that another adult, if you have that extra person in the room, could go sit with them while they calm down. So our, our, our strategies, when we think of behavior, do we disconnect and send them away or do they, we pull, uh, pull them to us? One of the things I work with a lot of foster and adoptive parents, really any parent with this, or any teacher, sometimes we get caught in negative reactions to our kids. And what this looks like is a child has a need. Expressing that need might look like bad behavior. So instead of thinking about the need and how I can connect and respond to this youngster, I um, react. And so I get caught in this negative cycle of constantly reacting to a kid. I had a foster mom tell me, I met with her, they wanted her to adopt a child in her home and she didn't want to. And so I sat down and talked with her, and I drew this on a napkin, actually. And I said, this kind of sounds like you. And she said, yes, this little girl cannot even drink a glass of milk without my commenting you're slurping or something. She said, I'm so disconnected from her, and I'm always uh, reacting. You might have kids in your ministry that, that come to mind. You just don't react, respond to them the way you want. Dr. Gordon Neufeld um, had an amazing um, statement that I think this is true. This is really true across our life, period. There is a correlation between my emotional connection to a child and my tolerance of their behavior. Let me say it one more time. There's a correlation between my emotional connection to a child and my tolerance of his behavior. Any thoughts or comments, or does a child come to mind that you mean, oh, I really have trouble connecting with this kid. Like Brian, you're glad the Sundays they don't, or Wednesdays they don't show up. Any comment? Anybody want to say anything? Yes. Absolutely different than you. Yeah. You do have more toleration. You're emotionally connected to your own kids, so you're going to treat other kids differently, maybe that you have not worked on the connection with. Emotional connection is super important, you know. Uh -huh. And this foster mom, when I shared that other statement about the correlation statement, she said, "You mean I need to work on connecting with this this youngster when I don't want to?" Yeah. So you may have identified kids in your ministry or adults that you didn't work with that you don't feel a real connection to, so you don't have tolerance of their behavior, whatever that behavior is. So the more emotionally connected, so we've got to work on it. So what happened with her, I said, let me mentor you and come to our training. It was a three-day training, and she came, and I worked with her. About six months later, um, we, uh, she adopted. So this is um, something you could do. It's on your PowerPoint. Obviously, we won't do it as a group activity here, but uh, when I train this in a full-blown uh, thing, we work on this. So you might, in a staff meeting, if you're having difficulty with a kid, a youngster, write down the misbehavior that you're dealing with that just is like sandpaper to you, irritating, and talk about how maybe you disconnect with this kid. Maybe your shorter, uh, you know, shorter um, 
statements or your body language says a lot to this child and what you could do to work on connection. So this is really important when we look at this. Any comments or questions about this? This is a very valuable tool that you can use in your ministries to identify. And if you work with adults and you have some problems with adults, it's a connection issue. I'm much more tolerant of those adults that I've worked on relationships with. And um, so any comment about that? So when we look at these strategies, um, they're incredibly important. The next one, David, if you'll come. And this is the power of praise. Um, this probably is one of the most important connecting principles we could ever have, is just praising. And uh, there's some neurological science behind this. When we praise somebody or look them in the eye, or nod or smile, whenever we do anything of that sort, it actually and absolutely activates what is called the, the vagus nervous system that's in our bodies. It runs to most of the major uh, organs in our body. And think about it, when somebody praises you or smiles at you or says something to bless you, it, you can actually feel it. There's, there's science behind that. It is so powerful, it is so simple, but it's so seldom done. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. We were in Armenia teaching this similar, something similar to this, and uh, you know, Armenia had been through the Soviet domination, then they had a big earthquake, they've been through awful stuff in Armenia, very, very hard people there, very hard life there, great people. Anyway, in our training there was a man named uh, Pastor Raphael, who uh, was in our training, and he raised his hand and said, may I share something with you? Something in this context here? And I said, of course. And uh, he came up and, and uh, said, there was a guy in our village who was absolutely out of control, no adult, no safe place, nothing good was happening, and uh, police would beat him, take him out of town, and all kinds of stuff. Nothing he was, worked. what, 16, I think. Yeah, nothing worked. And uh, one of the policemen said, well, let's take him to Pastor Raphael. Maybe he knows what to do. So they escorted this boy into Pastor Raphael's office one day and uh, escorted by two police. And uh, Pastor Raphael did four things that changed the trajectory of that life. The first thing he did was he got out from behind his desk and getting behind the desk removed the, the, the barriers. Incredibly important. Remove to the extent that we can anything that's in between you and whoever. The second thing he did was he looked him in the eye. And by so doing, he communicated that I see you. Ever try to talk to somebody and they don't, they don't really, you know, disconnect. The second thing he did was, the third thing he did was, he smiled at him, and basically that smile said, uh, I'm glad you're here. I see you, I approve of you, whatever. And then he nodded, you're welcome in my world. Four simple little things. So, jarred that young man's brain, it had been nothing but abused, abused and the pastor and that boy uh, developed a relationship that changed his life. 
We talked to Pastor Raphael what, a year ago, six months mm -hmm, ago. Mm -hmm. this, we, this was initially about three years ago, mm -hmm. but we talked to Pastor Raphael a couple months ago, or six months ago or so, and this sword's gonna be in our book. We wanted the update, and this boy uh, was totally and radically changed. He's married now, and he's a believer in Jesus, and he's doing all kinds of good things. Four simple little things. Powerful. It activated something inside of him, enabled him to feel something he'd never felt before, and connected already, and had been able to develop a relationship. It's all about connection. And before we go to the next one, I want to share um, a couple stories. I don't know how you notify parents that they need to come to get their child, that they're having problems in children's ministry. Do you have any systems to do that? If some churches are big enough to have other, you send somebody, the old tap on the shoulder or uh, the numbers. And um, anyway, parents who have kids with behavior problems know the problems. They don't need us at the end of children's ministry to greet them at the door and say, Johnny did this, this, this today. They don't need, they already know. And so what, every time, I only have children's church every six weeks, and um, I would do it more often, um, but I don't want to always miss a service either. I haven't done children's church in 30 years. It's been fun. I can't wait, literally, to get there. So what I um, have been instituting some of these practices in our Sunday school, and one of them is they have to line up, and you're probably already doing this, line up at the door at the end, hopefully their parent is picking up, and I give them a character praise. I don't tell parents what went wrong that day. I said, you know, Johnny was so kind today to Susie when her stuff fell off the table. Just noticing, grab those character praise things that you can say, if the parents aren't there, same for the kids anyway because there's some kids that never hear a single word of praise. Absolutely. So think about how, as the kids um, leave, that you can give them a moment, a 30-second character praise as they're leaving. And if you've got a large group, then you, you separate them by the adults in the room. And so many adults have this, kid, this number of kids. There's a way to do it, to give the kids a word of praise that might just grab in their spirit. That is so powerful. We were in Branson. I used to pastor in Branson, Missouri, and uh, we went back there for vacation one year after years after we left. And uh, there was, uh, we were having a lunch dinner there in a restaurant, the um, uh, restaurant there, farmhouse. Farm, yeah. Farmhouse restaurant. And a uh, young lady came up to me in her 20s, in her 20s, very beautiful young lady, very well uh, present, presented very well. And she said, are you pastor school? And I said, yes. And uh, she said, I just want you to know you changed my life. And I long since learned that it wasn't some big thing I had done. It was some small thing that I had done. Mm -hmm. Small thing. Yeah. And I said, uh, oh, tell me, what, what? She said, when I came to church with my grandmother, I was five at the time. And uh, about 20 years previous, you got down on your knees can't now with this ankle, but I could then. <laughs> and notice my new shoes. And one on about my socks and my new Easter dress. And, and that's all I did. I had no idea that was touching her heart the way it was. By simple praise and notice. There's not a one of us in this room who does not need that. 
By the way, you've heard a lot Excuse of... Excuse me, before you go on, there's a second part to that story. She came back and... Oh, and she came back, I don't know how soon thereafter, but when she came back again, I remembered her name. These are incredible blessings. And one of the ways we bless and not curse, one of the ways we bless, the power of blessing is, is to, through praise. Praise is a powerful way to, to bless another. And uh, I think churches ought to be communities of blessing because we're coming out of a world, out of a world that has no problem with cursing. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me your name, just tell me your number. Get in line. We need to be that kind of place. Power of presence is another. If we do not have, if something happens to us, let's say as a child, what the best thing that we need to have is an adult on duty to whom we can go, and that, child, that adult can keep us from harm, save us from what's going on, and heal the wound. And the pres our power of presence is so powerful, and just being there, being there. And uh, a lot of families practice this, a lot of churches practice this, the power of presence is so incredible. We were um, visiting a church, it happened to be Children's Sunday, and the pastor was talking about that, and he flashed on the screen, for children, presence matters. And that has become really a theme of us in our trauma-informed church ministry, that kids need our presence. What would that look like? On a Sunday morning, what would giving a child your presence, even for 30 seconds, look like? Just saying their name and greeting them when they come in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for those of you that can, you young people, you can get down on the fifth level. I've had knee treatment, so I can't do that. We're, we're quite a few. But um, anyway, <laughs> getting down on their level, saying, let me see those beautiful eyes, and, if and always ask permission, may I take your hand? Welcome today. I've been waiting for you to come. Mm -hmm. And that is 30 seconds of engaging a kid. You may have 50 kids in your ministry, so you're going to say, everybody needs to do that. Our Saturday to get early enough there to be greedy and you're shaking your head yes. So think of ways that I can be present and that child knows I see him, I hear him, I want to connect with him. Very, very powerful. The presence is a great fear reducer. Fear, and remember, the key is before we can really help we must first reduce the fear. As a matter of fact, we have a principle we teach a lot, and I think PBRI, I know they do teach this, before we can correct anybody, we must first connect with them. Mm -hmm. And we know of a Sunday school teacher or superintendent who kind of gets after her teachers that they don't finish the lesson. And many times the lesson can be put aside and time spent in connecting. When you have a connection, you can teach the lesson and they will learn. It's so incredible. One of my most fun things to do, um, yes, my kids, when I go walk in, oh, this is the lady with the rules. I have one over, I said, what's my first rule? My first rule in children's church is there's no smiling. So they, think that's the funniest thing on earth that I they say no smiling so there's no smiling so you know they're all laughing and one little girl Olivia uh, a few weeks ago she says I don't like the rule and I'm going to get a lawyer 
Okay, go for it. She probably will be a lawyer when she grows up. But I connect with them with humor when we begin. And um, we always ask a prayer, you know, we do the prayer time together. Sometimes you don't say, I don't have time to do the prayer time, you gotta get the lesson. They need to connect with their Heavenly Father as well. Uh, very important in, in that model, but I love to connect with humor. I also use three other rules. And would you hold this, please? Mm -hmm. okay. And so this is from um, Dr. Purvis's work, but I said, guys, we're going to begin today, and we are going to, and everybody could model after me in a minute, stick together, and we talk about what stick together means, that we listen to you, they tell me now because they know, no hurts, what does that mean? That I don't hit anybody or talk mean to anybody, and we have fun. So it's we stick together, no hits, and have fun. And they love the rules, even though I'm the rule lady. They knew that, I, so I love doing that. And it's a great fun way to just connect and humor with them in the beginning. You can do it with 10 kids or 50 kids. Good, humor is a great connector, a great fear reducer, a good, uh, as I said, connector. And uh, play is another one. Oh, Dr. Yeah. Purvis, I'm not Purvis, uh, Bruce Perry, Deals with kids. How many, have you read this book, anybody? The kid, the dog, the boy that was raised as a dog is one of his books. And the newest one is what happened. What to happened you? to you? But the first child he scheduled to see as a therapist for kids who've been through trauma was a girl named Tina, about four or five. They brought Tina in, and uh, and uh, caregiver Tina sat there and uh, Dr. Perry was getting ready to, to uh, talk to them. But that little girl, this is kind of a raw thing I'm gonna say, but it's- She was four. She was four, and, uh, but this stuff is raw, it's messy. And that little girl, Tina, coming from a traumatized background, got up, went and sat on Dr. Perry's lap, and began to unzip it. Now, that's what she had been taught. This is what men want. This is what you do to be safe, to be accepted. This is what you do. All she was doing was following the rules. And Dr. Per Perry did not shame her, did not push her back. He said, I got an idea, uh, Tina. Let's you and me go over here in color. So Dr. Perry, MD, PhD over here coloring with Tina, a five-year, four or five-year-old girl. And for the first few sessions, all they did was color. What's that mean? Before he could help her, he had to connect with her. And the way he did that is, he just simply colored. Let me look at your thing, oh, you look, and they just back and forth. And Tina was ready, and he followed the story, but Tina had begin had begun to do well going forward. So, this stuff is, Pretty real, yeah. Um, bef um, well, in the process of working on our book, I interviewed Harold Parks. I don't know if you know Harold Paris. He is the, I think, the head of the Care Portal in Canada. You might know Harold, or uh, anyway. Um, yeah. When Wendy, his wife, when we were talking, said, "No church can do the work that I we're talking about doing until they're willing to welcome in the messy." And that's true. We have to be prepared and willing to welcome in families that have this history in their lives. And it's hard work. 
but we have to be willing to welcome in the messy. Okay, the power of approval, we've been talking a lot about that. Just simply say, I see you, and you're okay with me, and uh, so many people come in with shame, and shame is a toxic emotion, and it basically means if you know me, you would not approve of me. But once they begin to see that we do approve of them, the shame can be reduced. Very powerful. And the last one? And the power not of, the last one, but almost power of individual attention, of course. The one-on-one -on -one cannot be. Uh, I was speaking, where's our time? We've got seven minutes. We, I was in Nigeria talking to about two or 300 pastors. And in that country, the pastors get up there and just preach, 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 hard, hard, hard. Then they walk out. That's the end of it. I said, pastors, before you could ever, I'm just talking out of my own belief system here, before you can ever really help your people, you need to connect with them first, and then you can still listen to you preach. Learn their story. Know about their kids. Get involved with their life. There's three components to ministry. Interest. I see that child. I see that person over there. I see him. I'm interested in that boy, that child, that person. The second one is I see something it's called imagination. I see something in that that, church, that child, that person, that he can become something other than what he is. Interest in, imagination, and then invest. interest. No, invest. I mean invest, I'm sorry. Invest in that child's life. We train this sec secularly, and I forget who that came from, but they used the word incarnation. Yeah. We, so from, we didn't uh, do that in secular training. And then... Allender. 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 Incarnation. That means I am willing to walk alongside you. Invest. Uh, I'm sorry. First Interest in. in. Imagine the future. So many of these kids come from, I can tell you story after story there. See something beyond where they are now that they can become in Jesus. And then invest your time. Walk alongside. Invest they are not time. a problem. They are an opportunity. So very, very important. A um, couple more here in terms of learning connection is the power of repairing ruptures. We all make mistakes. There's no perfect person other than Jesus on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. And we might wound a child. We might say something. Go back and uh, repair the rupture. We were training at orphanage caregivers in Kyrgyzstan. This, this style always through a translator. And at the end of the day, I asked them, what, what one principle are you going to take out of here when you leave? And one caregiver said, I wound a lot of kids, but from now on, I'm going to think before I leave here every day, I'm going to think, do I have to go back and repair a relationship? I'm not going to live it, leave it, yeah, a wound. So very, very important. Now, um, I would encourage you to think about ways that you could connect with your kids in a different way uh, when they come into your ministries or, or people in your church, uh, connecting with them. Or your own children. Or your own children, yeah. Distracted parenting, you might say, oh my gosh, that might be me. There was a, a swim coach, she was teaching little kids uh, some new developmental swim things, and she looked in the bleachers and all these parents were on the phone. She literally swam over to the edge of the pool and yelled at them and said, put your phone down, you're missing significant things. Significant things. So. Um, it's uh, really important when we think about, when you leave here, you might think about uh, ways you could connect. Cindy Lee, who is um, a, a good friend of mine, runs a ministry in Oklahoma. 
encourages her staff to think, when you lay your head down at night, did I connect in some way with kids in my ministry today? Or did someone connect with them so they knew they were present? So I want to share just a little bit about our uh, ministry, our vision um, for the development of the Community Impact Center in, it's in North Dayton, is to bring this to equip. We don't talk about coming to church to do a training. We talk about coming and equipping. That means it's a journey together. And so we are beginning that journey. We offer um, courses there in Dayton. Our next one is suicide awareness. I think we all need to know about that. Um, we are in the process of putting some more spring and summer trainings on. They're not on the website yet uh, because we have been, re uh, other organizations have reached out and said, please come to us. So we're not doing as many in Dayton. Those, those will also be on the website too when this happened. But I believe our churches need this information, our leadership, to change the trajectory of the lives of kids that are uh, sitting in front of us. And that's more true now than ever before with this. Uh, pandemic and all the trauma that went on there and all the, just so much, just so much. Uh, and we are the leading edge of the church. Well, the families first. We support the families in this work. God bless you. And thank yes, you any coming. questions before you run out the yes. door? Yes, ma'am. Um, you were talking about the fear brain. What are ways that we can, or what steps can we take to help them to come out of that fear brain if they come in in that, in that state of mind? I would, if I see a child like, if I see a child like that, I would say, no, I would like to see you. Why don't you go and sit by me? There's research that indicates my peaceful presence can help bring down a kid. Um, he might be in his fear grade. Our kids need hydration, nutrition, and repetitive physical activity every two hours. So you think that kid's in their fear grade, so they haven't eaten. Their blood sugar's off that. So I would say to John, And 
sensory activities. Kids need to move around. They need to move around. And some kids, I don't know what you were like, sitting in a school was hard. So there might be different, you might have all kids. You probably have all kids. But others you may not know this when you're meeting real needs. Anybody else? A lot of churches, as we close, have what they call sensory rooms. That's just what she that said. What you, I didn't get that piece. That's incredible. Just stuff like that is so helpful. And um, in, in our book, and, and Paris, I can get it to you if someone's interested, I, we have a list on how to create a sensory room on a low budget. So would you remind me? Put it in your, hey, Siri, put this on my calendar. Yeah. Because I can send that to you. As you guys leave, just remember, you're in middle circles. You're connecting with people who need help, and you know the resources they need, and you can transfer that from them, from, from the Lord and his truth, into them and change their life. God bless you. God bless Thank you. you. Thank you.